If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 in the precious Word of God. And I am thankful that you're here this morning. Uh, I told a couple of the ladies who were standing in the foyer early with me, I said, well, if it's just us three, we'll go to IHOP. And, uh, but I'm so thankful you decided to join me. By the way, let me just say, there's no condemnation for those that did not feel comfortable coming to worship. Right? We should, not, we should not look down on people who decided to stay in their bed all warm. <laughs> who decided to eat casserole, French toast casserole in their pajamas. We should not look down on them. <laughs> What's the saying? If you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> uh, it's good to be in the Lord's house. And guys, don't ever lose your sense of humor. God gave it to us for a reason. This morning we're continuing our journey uh, to Palm Sunday and ultimately really Easter by looking at another significant statement from Jesus while he was on the cross. If you remember, I know we had missionary last week, but if you remember, let's take a, a trek back in his first statement. Uh, you remember Jesus cried out in prayer to his father. And some have suggested that while he was being nailed to the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we looked at forgiveness, and then the second week, uh, we looked at the second time he spoke, and if you remember, that was in response to the honest belief and the honest confession of the thief who hung right beside him. And the thief, remember, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into thy kingdom. And the Lord said, listen, uh, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And so we talked about salvation and Last week, we, we passed over the incredible words and comfort that Jesus spoke to his mother in John chapter 19, and I want to encourage you to go there and look at that passage. Uh, we had a missionary guest, and so uh, we kind of passed it over, but John chapter 19 and verse 26 and 27, where Jesus actually honors his mother. You know, young people, we're to honor our father and our mother, and Jesus did exactly that, even in his last moments of breath. He was honoring his mother, and uh, he uh, placed her in the loving care of his disciple John. By the way, uh, John was the only one that we saw return to the scene of the crime, so to speak. You remember the rest of his disciples had left him at that time, but there at the cross, there was John, and so he places his mother in John's loving care. But today we want to look at the next significant thing that we hear from our Lord, and to be honest, it's his agonizing cry out to God in the midst of incredible pain. Look with me in Matthew chapter 27, and we'll get right to it. Let's read our text. Uh, look with me beginning in verse number 33. I want you to see a couple of things. The Bible says in verse 33, And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink, and they crucified him. And parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And verse 36 says, and sitting down, they watched him there. Now flip over or look down further to verse number 45. In verse 45, the Bible says, now... Excuse me, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when we look, as verse 46 is up on the screen, and when we look at this verse, this verse has been called truly one of the most staggering verses in all the Bible. But what I want you to know about the passage that we're looking at today, that this passage is different because in his previous statements, you remember Jesus was asking for the forgiveness of others. This is unlike that. He's not asking God to forgive others. He's not making a promise to a sinner about paradise. He's not honoring or caring for his mother. Here he screams out the most gut-wrenching, heart-crushing, soul-ripping cry of anguish, abandonment, loneliness, rejection, and sorrow that the world had ever heard. Truly, many have referred to this, rightly so, as the darkest day in history. In fact, I would narrow that instead of just saying the darkest day in history, I would say that these few hours of darkness were the darkest hours in history. If you remember, look at the text. Jesus hangs on the cross for six hours. And during the first three hours, remember the beating is over, the scourging is finished. They've nailed him to the cross. And even in the first three hours, the people are mocking him. They are jeering him. They're talking about him. They are challenging him. The Bible says that they even parted his garment. They're gambling for his clothes. They've done their worst. But at that three-hour mark, darkness comes upon the land. And this is a darkness like they had never seen before. The scene is horrific. Folks, I want you to know something. I believe with all my heart, and I know that you do or you wouldn't be here this morning, that we can rejoice. We can rejoice because when Jesus was dying on the cross, it was not a sign or a tragedy. It was a triumph. It was a triumph for you and for me. It was a triumph for you and for me. He died in our place. In fact, someone has said this. Someone said the devil and all the rulers of darkness of this world were to be defeated on that day. And to make his victory more illustrious, Jesus fights them on their own ground. He gives them the advantage, but yet he becomes more the conqueror. Oh yes, what a great savior we serve, amen? In verse 45, look at verse 45. The Bible tells us that from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. I don't know about you, but that would have been terrifying. It would be as if you and I walked outside right now, and not the sky sky getting cloudy as if it's getting to rain, right? But what if the sky, we walked outside right now, and boom, it goes pitch black. I think that would get your attention. By the way, I would suggest that when clouds roll in and you see that a storm is a-brewing, it gets your attention. I don't know if you're like me. I live, our home is set uh, inside of, it's almost kind of like a horseshoe of trees that are around us. And whenever there's a bad storm, I always, you, you call it what it is, I always pray and ask God, Lord, protect us. Because there's some tall trees. And the last thing I want is one of those things to come down on the house, but So I call and I I just call out on the Lord and say, Lord, protect us in the midst of this storm. Can you imagine if it's pitch dark? You've been mocking, you've been jeering, you've been challenging Jesus. And then all of a sudden, at the three-hour mark, the sky goes completely 
dark. Oh, what a scary, scary time. I think about Jesus Christ, God's only son, hanging on the cross. And how incredible is that? Because Bible tells us in Colossians 1, look at what the Bible says here. In Colossians 1, in verse 16 and 17, the Bible reminds us. It says that for by him, who is him? Who is him? Jesus. For by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, and I got in my notes, Jesus, for him, Jesus, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and by him, again, Jesus, all things consist. So, okay, I look at the scene of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, and I put in my notes, the sovereign Lord of all creation, the one who spoke this world into creation. Folks, I got news for you. Are you nervous about coronavirus? Are you anxious about coronavirus and all these things that are taking place? Uh, it's smart to be wise. God gives us gray matter to be smart, do things that we can do. But we serve the creator of the universe, things visible and things invisible. God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That doesn't mean I have to go out and be half-cocked or stupid, Right? We do what we can do, I say all the time, and then we let God do the rest. Listen, God, the sovereign Lord of all creation, the great architect and creator of the whole universe is hanging on the cross, and he's bearing the sins of the world, sins that you and I are not able to carry. He's bearing the judgment of God. He's dying the death of man for all humankind. He's on the cross doing what's necessary to set me and to set you and to set the sins of the world, anyone, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, he's doing it to set them free. What a Savior, what a Savior we worship and serve. And we look back at the scene, and it's hard to understand. We see this scene, and we see Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we say, what is this all about? It's so difficult to understand. But I think about it, and I say to myself, what incredible wisdom, what incredible depth to God's plan. And you say, well, why does that make you, why does this scene bring that up inside of you? Well, because I always tell people scripture confirms scripture. And so I was reading in Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 33 and following, the Bible says this, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Oh, let's just stop there for a second. God's ways and his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts and our ways, right? It says, it says how unsearchable are his judgments, verse 33, and his ways past finding out, verse 34, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed or rewarded unto him again, for of him and through him and to him are what things? That includes us. Are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What wisdom, what depth there is in, the, in God's plan. And his own son is dying on the cross. The scene is horrific. 
But we don't have to look back at that scene and see a tragedy. When I look back at the cross of Christ, I see victory. I see triumph. I see celebration. Because of what he did on the cross, the free gift of forgiveness of sin for those who are truly repentant of their sin, the free gift of that forgiveness, the free gift of salvation. Oh, and by the way, the little cherry on top. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What an amazing Savior we serve. Oh, we ought to get excited about it. But there's some things that I see that are, that are hard to pick up on. And this is a very difficult passage to, to, uh, uh, to expound on. But I see some things in the darkness that we ought to take notice of. Because verse 45 said, From the sixth hour there was a darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. And a few things that come to my mind are this, that the darkness demonstrates that Jesus Christ is definitely God's Son. That darkness doesn't take place if I'm on the cross. If I'm dying along with the other thieves on the cross, that darkness isn't happening. But the darkness reminds me that Jesus is actually God's own son. I can only imagine the fear. Can you imagine? I mean, get in the story, guys. The fear of the people who are mocking him, who are challenging him, who are jeering him. And all of a sudden, just like somebody flipped the switch, an electrical switch, they just flip the breaker and the lights go out. There's a hush across the land. And do you know in Scripture, I put down in my notes, there is no mention during these three hours of darkness of anybody railing or reviling Jesus. I'm guessing it got kind of quiet. And it says, for three hours, nothing. And then Jesus cries out in agony. He cries out. In pain, what's taking place? This was a sign that this was, this was God's own son. In verse 46, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. He doesn't do it timidly. He cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some people, if you read on in scripture, you see that some people think he's calling for Elijah. Other people uh, give him vinegar to drink. And In fact, in verse 49, the Bible says, uh, let's actually see if Elijah comes to save him they once he cries out they start talking again right it's the darkness is over the land and they say well let's see if Elijah comes to save him in verse 49 but then right away what's incredible is after Jesus says this we find that four verses later Jesus gives up the ghost and dies he gives up the ghost and dies. Now, now Matthew's uh, uh, gospel doesn't give us uh, what John's gospel gives us in the statement that it is finished, and we'll look at that uh, down the road. But what we see is he gives up the ghost and dies. The, the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple is torn in two. The earth begins to quake. Graves start opening up. People start getting out of the grave and going into the holy city. Do you think, I mean, come on, people. Let's wake up on Sunday, coronavirus Sunday. Let's wake up. Do you think people were scared? The graves open up, people get up, and they go on into the holy city. Are you kidding me? There's no other explanation in my once military mind that that darkness 
would have signified to those that were around, and by the way, I'm going to prove it here in just one second, that that Jesus Christ was God's only son. And look at verse 54, and this is the proof of it. In verse 54, the Bible says, Now when the centurion and they, notice they, that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, what did they say? Truly, this was the Son of God. Oh, so you mean Jesus is exactly who he said he was. So you mean it's not fake news. So you mean it's true that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. Right then and there, the centurion and all those that were with him, they said, oh my gosh, he really was the Son of God. Well, if that's what they really believed in their heart, I hope they received the Son of God. You see, truly, even those who stood by watching, they're watching. They realize Jesus is God's own Son. And we know from Philippians 2 and verse 8 that Jesus, He humbles Himself and becomes obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Oh, yes, the darkness, the darkness would have uh, demonstrated that He was God's only Son. But I see also the darkness symbolized the darkest day in human history. It's still recognized as the darkest day in human history. Why? Because it's the day that God's son died for me and the day that he died for you. It's still recognized worldwide as the darkest day. Jesus died in our place. In fact, he did so even though Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15 reminds us that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without what? So, let's connect the dots. The people realize he's the son of God, but not only is he the son of God, he's the sinless, spotless son, the sinless, spotless lamb of God, dying on the cross. Oh, it's the darkest day in human history. In 2 Corinthians, turn there with that. I want you to see this one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because we typically look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we say, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse number 17. And then we look on and we see that we've been given the uh, ministry of the word and that we are now reconcilers. We, we have a ministry of reconciliation. And then we see in verse 20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. Right? We're to be his, his uh, ambassadors around the world. But I want you to see verse 21 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice what the Bible says. It's incredible. It says, for he, now watch with me, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Hold on a second. Read that first part again. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. So you telling me God played a part in this? Absolutely. Jesus wasn't a lunatic or a liar. He was the son of God. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Look at the verse. Who knew no sin that we, you and I, might be made the righteousness of God in him, Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, the darkness reminds us. It demonstrates that he's God's own son, but it also symbolizes the fact that this was the darkest day in human history because you have somebody who has never sinned dying for the sinners. In 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, 
The Bible tells us that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that you and I, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ also suffered once, once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, that word quickened means being made alive by the Spirit. 1 John chapter 3 Verse 5 tells us that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is what? No sin. Oh, yes. My friends, it was the sinless Savior. The sinless Savior dying for the sins of the world. The darkness demonstrates that he's God's own son. It symbolizes the darkest day in human history. It also, I see this, it symbolizes the darkness and the blackness of sin. In fact, you remember Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he starts asking Jesus some questions and Jesus tells him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. And then he has this discourse with Nicodemus. And you get further down in John chapter 3. And when we get to verse number 19, I want you to understand, this is what Jesus says. He's speaking to Nicodemus. It says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Hebrews 9.28 tells us that so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Speaking of the darkness, the blackness of sin, the light of the world is hanging in total darkness. Can you imagine this? I'm thinking, this is just me. I play it out. You know, we have, we've had many dramas here at Battlefield over the years, right? I'm thinking we used to, we always had the cross set up over here, Josh, and we got the lights going and everything. I'm thinking that in total darkness, this is just me pontificating, so just deal with it. What if Jesus said he was the light of the world? What if? See, I'm, you see what my mind's doing right now? Boom! The lights go out. It's total blackness, total darkness, except for the light of the world. I don't know. But I know the Bible tells me that the light of the world was hanging on the cross. And in John, you remember John. John's gospel, John chapter 1 and verse number 5, he says, And that light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Folks, it's going to be difficult sometimes when we walk out these doors to be light. When you're on I-66, it's real hard to be light, right? In the workplace, sometimes it's hard to be light. In the home, it can be difficult to be light. But we still have the light of Christ shining in and through our lives that should not Give us a pause and it should not cause us to wave the flag of surrender. We ought to be representatives of his light because Jesus then turned it around and he said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Oh, darkness reminded us of the darkness of sin. and We know the Romans road. Romans road says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, Jesus didn't die because of the darkness of his own sin. He died because of the darkness of mine. He died because of the darkness of our sin. Finally, I see 
that the darkness symbolized God's anger. God's anger towards sin. Sin deserves no light from God's presence whatsoever. However, Jesus built a bridge. He, as it's been said before, he made a way when there was no way. He became the way maker, if you please, to coin a phrase from the song we just sang. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 13 says, Christ has redeemed or rescued us from the curse of law being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Turn back with me into the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. And we know in Isaiah chapter 53, excuse me, Isaiah 53, we know here in this passage we have prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, verse number 4 and following, the Bible says, Surely he, speaking of Jesus, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. By the way, I, I, I became interested in that phrase, smitten of God. Right, And so I did a little excess study on smitten of God. And to bring it down briefly for you, what this means is that God was pulverizing his own son. It means to pulverize, to punish, to pound down. This is what God allowed to take place to his own son. It says, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace, the correction, as if the chastisement, speaking of a, the correction of a child, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In his humanity... During the darkest hours of history, Jesus now senses, right? We've been talking about the darkness. He senses in this moment that he has been forsaken by God. All the while up, remember, even on the cross, he's being nailed. Father, forgive them, right? Surely today you're going to be with me in paradise. Cares for his mother and puts her into the loving care of John. But here he says, my God, not Father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He screams out in terror. Why? Because he senses the withdrawal of God's presence. He senses that God has withdrawn his deliverance. He senses that he was at that very moment. He had become the curse of God, the sin for the world. He sensed that God's life and holiness had left him. He had been delivered into the hands of sin and death as he's hanging on the cross and he realizes it and he cries out to God. Habakkuk in chapter 1 and verse number 13 reminds us that God's eyes are too pure. You can read that for yourself sometime. It reminds us that God's eyes are too pure to behold evil. And so he cannot, therefore he cannot, he cannot look on iniquity. You see God's holiness demand demanded that he look away. In his anger over all the sin of the world, the father turns away. In his sorrow and pain, he saw what sin had done as it was being placed on his own son, and he had to turn away. In disgust of the ugliness of sin, the father turned away. Yes, when we look down, 
when the father looked down and he sees the cesspool of sin being lurched on his son, Jesus is, is basically, and if you read in the book of the Revelation and you connect the dots with what Jesus is saying when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. He's saying, God, let this cup pass from me, right? He says, I don't want to, I don't want to have to uh, take on the full cup of your wrath, but God says it's required. And so he sees the cesspool of sin being dumped out on Jesus, the lust of the world, the broken promises, all the murder, the hatred, the theft, the drunkenness, drug abuse, the bitterness, the greed, the pride, the crime, the cursing, and all the other things that we see taking place, not only then, but even today. He sees all of that in his own son. And he has to turn away. Jesus at this moment is all alone, completely forsaken, completely abandoned, deserted, and disowned. The full cup of God's wrath has been unleashed on his son. And again in verse 46, Jesus says with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The biblical scholar from the mid to late 19th century, a man by the name of Joseph Thayer. He said that this particular word, when, when Jesus is speaking these words, and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that word forsaken? He says that it means this, to abandon, to desert, to leave in straits, to leave helpless, i.e., to leave in a lurch. Have you ever felt like you've been left in a lurch? That's exactly how Jesus felt in that moment. How amazing is that picture for you and I this morning? But I want you to know this, that Jesus' cry from the cross was a cry for you. When he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That cry from the cross was a cry for you. It was a cry for me. He was forsaken so that you and I would never be forsaken. He was an abandoned so that we wouldn't be abandoned. He was deserted and forgotten so that you and I would never be deserted or forgotten. Again, all I can say is like that song, Oh, what a Savior. By the way, these words spoken by Jesus in verse 46, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? were prophetic in nature. Because if you go back to Psalm 22, you'll see that David actually utters these words and he speaks these words in his own life when he is enduring his own distress. As I close, I simply want to us to understand that the central issue, the central issue, everybody has issues. The central issue of the cross, and I know we've seen movies depicting it. The central issue of the cross was not that Jesus was beaten and scourged and that he was hanging on the cross. It wasn't his physical suffering that was the central issue of the cross. The central issue of the cross was the fact that Jesus was actually bearing our sins. He was actually becoming sin for us so that he would be able to conquer death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. That's the central issue of the cross. He was like a ship setting sail. I, I have a message on my computer that I like to listen to every once in a while. And uh, where an old pastor from years gone by, he talks about the fact that when Jesus dies on the cross, he's like a ship setting sail, carrying our sins away, never to be seen again. 
He says he carries them away, and he carries them away into the depths of the sea. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. These significant words spoken by Jesus teach you and I that in times of suffering, in times of great pain, that we too can cry out on God, even though we feel like we've been forsaken by God. I know there's a lot of people who feel like they've been forsaken by God in coronavirus. But I got news for you. He's still on his throne. He's still large. He's still in charge. He's still got it in control. None of this is, as Travis said, none of this is taking him by storm. We don't have to be fearful. God has a plan for it. And so I just say this, no matter what we're facing, because here's what I know, that dirty devil, and he's dirty, and I'm not saying that lightheartedly, he's a dirty, vicious devil, and he walks about seeking whom he may devour. And if he can get into your mind and in your heart, he's like, thank you. Let me get this person off track. Let me get this person off track. Here's the thing. I put this down. The dirty devil tries to convince us that God is somehow far, far away. He tries to convince us. God's not listening to you. He doesn't care about you. He's not concerned with how you feel today. He's he's not worried about your your livelihood. He's not worried about your life. He doesn't care about this person or that person. Can I tell you, stop listening to the devil. He's a liar. We say that and then we turn around and we listen to him. We say, oh yeah, I know he's a liar. I know he's a murderer, but, but you don't understand. It's amazing to me that people follow up a statement that, yes, I know the devil's a liar with, but you don't understand. No, period. Put a period at the end of that. He's a liar, and the Bible says he's not only a liar, but he's the father of lies. See, he says that God is far, far away. But folks, my Bible tells me in Psalm 145 and verse number 18 that God is always near unto all them that call upon him. In Jeremiah 23, 23, the Bible encourages us with the truth that our God is at hand or near uh, and that he is not a God that's far off. Psalm 34, 18, the Bible says the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Psalm 16, 8, David, the psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. And he says, good news, I shall not be moved. In James chapter 4, everybody's making fun of the fact where it says, cleanse ye your hands, you sinner, but they don't put the rest of the verse. The beginning of the verse says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Oh, he's not far off. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Do we need God's help today? Do we need his help? Then we need to call on him. Hebrews 4.16 reminds all of us, remember I showed you 4.15 that says that God uh, was without sin. Verse 16 says that we can come boldly unto the throne of his grace where we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I need help every day. You know something else? I tell a lot of people I'm thankful that God's mercies are new every day. We need to learn to be merciful people, Right? Because he's merciful. Jeremiah 33.3 says that when we call on our God, he will answer us and he will show us great and mighty things which we have no clue about. 
That's my paraphrase. We don't even understand it. I serve a God that can do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. The lyrics of Stuart Townend's song, and I don't know if they have it upstairs, and they'd probably flip out if I said it right now. The song, How Deep the Father's Love. I don't know if they have that upstairs, and the guys are scrambling. The lyrics of Stuart Townend's song is an incredible reminder of the father's love that required him to forsake his only son while he was suffering. I want to read these lyrics to you. How deep the father's love for us. Just think about it, guys. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch, that's me, that's you, to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. Guys, it cost the father everything when Jesus was dying on the cross. When Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was hurting the father. And the verse here says, the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Verse 46, the Bible says, And about the ninth hour, after three hours of darkness, about the ninth hour, about uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, the lights, if you please, were turned back on. And Jesus cries with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why, why hast thou forsaken me? And so we ask the question on this side of history. We ask the question, why? Why did you forsake your only begotten son? And from the very portals of heaven, as we've been reminded from this great song, he forsook his only begotten son because of his deep love for us. What a Savior. What a God. What, a, what an amazing, an amazing God. The amazing love, the amazing grace we sang about. He did it because of his love for us. It was Martin Luther who put it this way. God abandoning God. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. 
but I'm so thankful for it. And I pray you are too. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.